The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, good morning. <laughs> we sang a lot about the blood this morning. Isn't it good? It's our hope and prayer this morning that um, if you have not recognized and received fully and wholeheartedly the blood of Jesus for the remission, the payment of your sin, and the security of your eternal life in him, that this morning you had recognized that there's absolutely nothing that you can do in and of yourself to save you or to keep you. His blood not only saved us, but it keeps us. Can you say amen to that? We want to pray over our children as they go uh, into the kids' area. So moms and dads, grandmoms and granddads, uh, would you just place your hands on our kids and let's pray over them and let's pray God's blessing on them. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege, God, to raise another generation, God, that would follow after Jesus, Lord, that would be his disciples. And Lord, we thank you that... Uh, God, we, we are intentional to train them not only to be a follower of Jesus, but God, to go and make other people followers of Christ, to disciple others. And so, Lord, we pray that, God, in, in the coming years, Lord, we'd see this generation, uh, God, beginning to be obedient to what you've called us to do, and that is to go into all the world and make disciples. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We bless our kids. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as the kids are leaving, let me just welcome you. If you're a guest this morning present in the sanctuary or you're watching online, we're glad that you uh, have shown an interest. The Lord has drawn you to participate in our worship this morning. We state that we're a church with a mission to win people to Christ, disciple them in Christ, and to send them for Christ. And if that's the kind of body that you look to be a part of, we would encourage you to look in the pew in front of you, grab that Connect card. If you'd fill that out, give us your information. We'd love to follow up with you on that, and you can place it at, in the offering plate as you exit this morning, or if you're online, uh, there's a place there on our website that you can click on and connect, give us that information. We would love to be in touch with you. I hope that you're making plans next Sunday evening to be here at 5 p.m. as we are going to ordain our uh, Spanish pastor, Pastor Adrian Zaracosa, and it's not confirmed yet, but I think we have one other man that will be uh, commissioning or ordaining to pastoral ministry, as the Lord has called him. So put it on your calendar, mark that, 5 p.m., and I hear that uh, Nueva Vida is preparing a feast for everybody after that, and so uh, it will be good, authentic uh, Mexican food for you afterwards. So uh, be planning to be a part of that. This morning, I just want to kind of sit on the stool and talk to you. there's some things that have been on my heart in the last several weeks, uh, really last several months, as we have been going through this crazy year. Can you say amen to that? And, and the battle that I've recognized really uh, that I have been going through personally has been the battle that has taken place in my mind. Do you understand that? Some days it's good, other days it's bad. I jokingly tell people, man, you do not want to get inside this head and inside of my mind, right? And I could probably say the same thing about you. Um, I, we, we recognize that, that our thoughts, the way that we think, the way that we view life, the way that we view the world, and 
on any given day, our thoughts have the ability to either paralyze us or they have the ability to motivate us to, to higher things. Does that make sense? Uh, the battleground somebody has stated is really in the mind, and it is true as well in the life of the believer that every day we are faced with numerous thoughts and numerous situations that trigger thoughts in our, our minds, and our thoughts, the way we think, the, way, the things that we meditate on can either throw us into the depths of despair or in the heights of happiness. Some of you yesterday at the end of the Georgia game, you were in the depths of despair, right? Amen? But on a serious note, through what we have been going through in COVID and all of the uh, different divides in our nation, I have found that where I am dwelling in my thought life can either put me in that place of utter hopelessness and despair, or I can choose to focus on those things that I know to be true from Scripture and God's Word, and it can take me to heights of maybe not happiness, but at least peace and content in the middle of them. We can either center our thoughts uh, on trust and on truth, or we can center our thoughts that lead us into a path of deception. You know, Scripture tells us that, that our human wisdom at best is faulty, right? Our human wisdom at best is faulty. At, 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 at its worst, our, our thoughts, the way we choose to dwell our thoughts can lead us to a path of destruction. I'm going to give credit to Kevin Baker. This is one good thing yesterday that I saw on Facebook, and I love the, the saying here. Kevin quotes, if you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you're at peace, you are living in the present. And I would add to that, if you're at peace, you're living in the present reality with the mind of Christ for the believer. You see, when I dwell on my past, what could have been, what should have been, what I wish had been, it can take me to a state of depression because we've all had failures in life, right? We've all had not only circumstances that we had nothing to do with, but some of us have chosen, have made decisions that that have brought devastating or bad consequences in our life. And if we dwell on those things, they can bleed us, take us to that state of depression. We can also look into the future and say, what if, could it be, what's going to happen? And it can lead us into a state of anxiety. The question is, where does God want us to focus? Well, there's a verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that I believe is the antidote for us as believers to have that mindset that will keep us in a steady peace, regardless of what circumstances may be in our personal lives, regardless of what circumstances may be in our nation, regardless of what the circumstances may be in the future, and it's this. Now, in context, where Paul makes this statement in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he's speaking in the context of the unity in the body of Christ. And in that, he tells us in unity in the body of Christ that if we have the mind of Christ, that's the key to it. But he goes on to tell us not only to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
Now, what's Paul telling us there? Paul is telling us that when we trusted Christ, when we became born again, God gave every single one of us in this room the mind of Christ. We no longer have to be driven by the mind of the flesh where we once dwelt. We don't have to be driven and governed by the message that the world portrays for us every day, but we have the ability and we have the hope, we have the assurance that we have the mind of Christ. Now, this is not some psychological babble. This is the reality that when we were born again, God gave us the mind of Christ. But the key is we have to take up the mind of Christ or we choose to follow after that which is the carnal nature or the fleshly nature. You see, we have the ability to maintain the same focus, worldview, and values that Christ did. Now, let me underscore this. That does not make us deity. Amen? But we have the mind of Christ, and it will bring peace, and it will bring solace, and it will bring contentment in our life. There's five principles that, that I want to share with you this morning from Scripture that have helped me particularly in this year to have the mind of Christ or to focus on the mind of Christ and live in that rather than live in what the world would dictate for me. Now, you may ask the question, J-Mo, have you, have you lived since, uh, since March 1st when COVID began to hit in this every single day, every minute of the day? Can I tell you? Yes, I have. Got your attention now. No, I have not. But there's a continual reminder that I don't have to live in that place in my mind where my actions and my will follow, but I can have the mind of Christ and dwell on him. Here are five principles that that have helped me during this time to have the mind of Christ. Number one is this, that I, I have recognized that I have to continually feed myself on truth that I know that's in the Word of God rather than what is portrayed in truth in all of the different media platforms or what other people say right? You see, it's that thing with computers, garbage in, garbage out. And I have learned that I have to aggressively keep my mind on the truths of what the Word of God says, not on the truths or seemingly truth of what the media may portray, social media might portray, or others may even say, but I'm going to focus on what the Word of God says. Listen to this very familiar verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The writer writes this, For the Word of God is living and it is active. You want a JMO translation of that? The Word of God is not black ink on white paper. But it is living. Why is it living? Because it was God-breathed. It's from God. The Word of God is living and it is active, meaning that it has an ability that no other written word does, and that is to activate a change and a transformation in my heart and my mind. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice this phrase. 
It has the ability, like a double-edged sword, to pierce the division of the soul or of the spirit. Can I clue you in on something? When you and I became born again, our soul was not transformed, meaning our emotions, meaning our minds, and meaning our will. Now, our spirit was given life where it was dead to God once before. And the Word of God is what cuts through to determine whether or not I am going to be soul-driven or flesh-driven or I'm going to be spirit-driven, which is based on the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, folks, we have to continually feed our mind on the Word of God. Now, some of us get our weekly dose of the Word of God when we come to church, and that's a good thing, right? But can I tell you that the moment that you leave this service today, and maybe even while you're sitting here right now, there are thoughts that will bombard you and try to steal you, steal from you that seed that was planted in your heart by the Word of God. Y'all, we have to continually be in the Word of God these days. We will either absorb the so-called truth that is portrayed to us from the world, or we will absorb the truth of the Word of God, and it will transform our hearts and our minds, as he says here. The second thing that I've, I've learned through this, in order to have the mind of Christ, I need to connect with godly friends. We realized that after we came back from the hiatus of not being able to worship together, didn't we? And some still are not able to, and they're longing for that. But even in the midst of that, I recognized and realized that I had to seek out, even to a greater degree, godly friends, men that I know that love me, that I can be completely vulnerable with, I can be trans, I, I can be uh, transparent with, and that I know that when I go to them and if I'm speaking something that's of the flesh or of the world, they're going to lovingly, underline that lovingly, They're going to lovingly bring me back to the truth of that. Listen to what Proverbs 13, 20 says. He says, for whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You see, we have to walk with those that we know are holding to the same truths that we are and that will not coddle us in the lies that we want to hold on to, but will directly and lovingly state the truth. Here's another verse. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14. One of the guys that I love going to, I say I love going to, sometimes I don't because I know he's going to give me the truth, right? One of the things you learn as a pastor through the years in counseling people, you know that sometimes they'll go to a multitude of counselors where there should be wisdom of that, but Butch, you know this, as you counsel, they'll go to a multitude of counselors trying to find a counsel that will, dis, that will agree with their wrong thoughts, right? But there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. I love going to David Hammond's, and, and I'll say, David, now be gentle with me, okay? Don't be administrative with me. 
But here's where I'm thinking. And David will lovingly come back and say, J-Mo, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in the world. No, he'll come back with, well, have you thought of it this way? And that this way is typically a biblical principle that I have chosen to either ignore or had not recognized. Folks, we need to have people. That's why we so encourage you to be a part of a discipleship group or a part of a small group. It is imperative in our lives as believers. Number three, to have the mind of Christ by, by finding a trusted accountability partner. This comes very close to the godly friends. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And I would say, and I would encourage each of us to have at least two other people in our lives that we can make ourselves accountable to. I've often had people come to me and say, J-Mo, I want to be accountable to you. Um, or, J-Mo, I want you to hold me accountable. And I tell them, I'm not going to do that. You know why I'm not going to do that? Because I can't do that. You see... I can't hold anybody accountable. Now, some of you like to run around making others accountable, and shame on you. See, accountability begins with me and you having the desire, knowing that we need others in our lives to be accountable to, and we make a heart decision that says, I am going to make myself accountable to you, right? You see, we can't hold each... You might hold a child accountable for, for a few years, right? But there comes that age. Can any parents of adult children say amen to that? You see, there has to be a heart. There has to be a willingness. The pattern of that we see in Christ himself who humbled himself, although he had full rights to deity. He laid those aside, and he placed himself in accountability to the Father, who is God himself as well. You see, we see that in the Trinity. Number four is this, to have the mind of Christ by spending intimate time with Christ. I said that earlier. Man, man, your, your Sunday morning sermon that you hear, and even your small group that you participate in, it is not enough to bombard us against the daily messages that are coming to us from the world. Listen to what Jesus said in John fifteen five: I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to be in a regular intimacy with Christ. Part of that includes a daily time where we are in devotion to him through his word and communing with him in fellowship and in prayer, not only making our request to him, but listening to him as well. Um, many of you participate in the daily and the psalm that we do every morning. And, and, and honestly, initially, I began doing that just to try to keep us connected when COVID hit. But can I be honest with you? Do you know why I do that every day? Some people say, thank you for doing for us. I'm not doing it for you. <laughs> I'm doing it for me. Why? 
because it gives me that accountability to be in the Word of God every day and allow the Word of God to set my mind and my heart right until 30 minutes after my quiet time and then I blow it. (laughs) I lied. 30 seconds after my quiet time and then I blow it. You see, we need the Word of God. Lastly, and I want to speak to this a little bit at length, one way is that, that, that Scripture has given us is that we take every thought captive. Now, that may boggle your brain when you think about that. you have any idea how many thoughts run through our mind in any given moment? Steve, you're, you're a... How many thoughts? Do you know? A lot, okay? Now, Paul tells us that, that we're to take every thought captive. Now, listen to it in the context. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And can I propose to you that one of the strongholds that the enemy loves to take up in your life and in my life is in that stronghold of the mind. And he says he has given us weapons that we can grab those strongholds and bring them down and bring them into the submission of Christ. It's interesting as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about the armor of God, that in all of that list there are two offensive weapons that he gives to us. The rest of that part of armor that he describes are defenses against the attack of the enemy, but there are only two weapons he's given us, and that is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And he says in this verse that we destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the kingdom of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. What you and I put into our mind has an effect on what we think. And it also not only has an effect on what we think, But what you and I put in our minds and where we dwell in our minds has a direct impact on how we live out our life. That's true. The proverb says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And the enemy is well at work to try to take your mind and in my mind and get them off of the truth of the Word of God and get us in a state of despair, get us in a state of anxiety and all manners of things that come from that. So we do not live in peace and we run around with like chickens with our heads cut off and we completely forget the mission that he's called us to. You remember those scary movies you watched as a kid? When, when I thought about this, you know, I'm going to date myself now. Half of you, two-thirds of you are not even going to have a clue who I'm talking about. But I never forget when I was a kid, my brother and my sister sat me down to watch Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. <laughs> Every time I see those buzzards perched up on our roof, pooping on our steeple, did I, I just said pooping, sure. Is that, they're doing that on the steeple. It reminds me of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. And I didn't want to go out of the house. 
Well, it didn't take me long to realize that I don't want to watch any more Alfred Hitchcock movies. And to this day, I don't like horror movies. Number one, most of them are demonic. But, but number two is they get me in that state of mind. You see, but God has, a, has, has provided a way that, that you and I had, don't have to be controlled by those thoughts, but we're able to take them captive and bring them under the submission of Christ. Here's six ways that, that I want to outline for you real quick. Six ways to take our thoughts captive. Because this is not a, an automatic thing. The, the moment you and I become believers, we don't automatically begin taking our thoughts captive. But can I tell you, in, in my experience in the Christian life, it is an exercise that I have had to grow through the years, and I've still not become completely victorious in that, but at least I recognize what the enemy's trying to do or what the world's trying to do, and I know that I've got to take that thought captive. Because the moment that I dwell on that thought, whatever that negative thought may be, whatever that fearful thought may be, whatever that anxiety or whatever that regret from the past might be, the moment I take that thought and I, and I put it in my hands and I begin to massage it, you know, some of us like massaging our thoughts, don't we? I've, I've, I've come to recognize this is true. Some folks are not happy unless they're massaging those kinds of thoughts, Right? But the moment I take that thought and I massage it and I try to get comfortable with it, then I know it's going to lead me down a path of destruction that, oh, my goodness. Number one is this. So in that, I've learned that I have to accept responsibility for my thoughts. You see, you and I have the, have the ability to exercise control over what we do with those thoughts that come into our mind. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we saw Cain and Abel? God had, had given Cain that opportunity to, to take his anger, to take his bitterness and to turn it, but he chose to exercise the massaging of that bitterness and that hate and that jealousy and that envy, and it led him to a murderous action. You see, the truth is that where we massage our thoughts, it will lead us somewhere else. Whatever you and I massage, it will lead us to something else. And you fill in the blank in there. All of us have thoughts that we like to massage. Am I right? The moment we do that, it will take us somewhere else. Here's the question. Jamal, are you willing to admit that you can, with God's help, regain control of your thoughts and think enabling thoughts instead of disabling ones? Let me tell you what came to my mind this week. I think it was about Monday. All of a sudden, the thought came into my mind is, who in the world do you think you are? Don't you realize that you are about as effective as a gnat swarming around somebody's head. You are the least effective pastor that there has ever been. Now, I'm telling you, and, and I wanted to massage that. Why? Because it made me feel good to feel sorry for myself. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? 
And I had to take that thought captive. Now, I'll be honest with you, that thought was with me for a long part of the day. And the moment, every time it kept coming to my mind, I kept saying, well, no, I know a lot of things that are not, that are wrong about me, right? I mean, I wear cowboy boots. I don't, you know, all those kinds of things. But because that thought, what I recognized was, was that thought was clearly an affront to what God's thoughts were. You battle with them every single day, and we have to take responsibility for our thoughts and bring those captive, bring them under the submission of Christ. Number two is this. Our minds, not just our behavior, has to change. Our minds, not just our behavior, have to change. You see, as Carrie talked about last week, we, we just try to change our behavior, behavior modification. And, and we can learn action-wise to do a lot of right things, but if all we've learned to do are action things that are right and the mind has not been transformed, it has not gone as deep as a power of God that he wants us to have victory over this in our lives. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter two, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One indication there is he's saying, listen, when you became born again, your mind wasn't immediately transformed. He says, don't let the world conform your thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Number three is this. I've had to learn in in taking every thought captive to think through my situations rather than just react to them. And sometimes when life hits us, maybe you're with a corporation and and you've heard that they're going to have layoffs. Anybody ever been there? You're convinced you're the one that's going to be part of that first cut, right? And, and, and you can make reactive responses to that. Now, that doesn't mean you're not prudent, but what it means is this, that, that rather than immediately reacting, and typically our reaction either is, is an oppressive state or our reaction is an anxiety state, rather take back, step back, and recognize and realize that God is in control, nobody else is. See, either God is sovereign or we're all in a world of trouble. Fourth thing is this. Take those disabling thoughts captive through confession. This week when I shared with you that thought that was coming to my mind, I had to confess to God, God, I I repent. Because my mind right now, my attitude is not that of faith and trust. And God, that is sin. And take ownership and responsibility of those things. Fifth thing is this, and this is a primary one. Choose to focus our thoughts on the right things. I want to share with you a verse that I think I've shared before, but I like hearing myself tell it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. My wife will tell you that this verse saved our marriage early on. You see, I I had a terrible habit, and (laughs) 
I confess I still have it, okay? <laughs> that's, that's a note to you that are engaged. The, the best they are is when you're dating. They're not going to get any better, right? But I had this habit of just dropping clothing wherever I happened to have disrobed. If that was in the shower, if that was in the bedroom, wherever it might be. And my wife would come around and she would pick up after me my clothes. And she tells a story that one day she was complaining to God about picking up my dirty clothing. And I won't tell you the garment that she was picking up. And God spoke into her heart and said, be thankful you have a man to pick up after. And he gave her this as her life verse, and it's this. And this will apply to so many areas in our lives. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is notable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we put those thoughts to the test as we take them captive. First of all, I have to say, is this true? Because see, you and I think a lot of things that aren't true, right? We make assumptions, Well, so-and-so said this, and she looked this way when she said it, so she must mean, right? (laughs) We don't know it to be true. So we take everything, is it true? Is it honorable? Is this honoring God, and is this honoring the individual? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is is there anything excellent? If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The opposite of that is, if it's not any of those things, then you and I need to chunk it out of our minds and not dwell on it any longer. Amen? Now, to be honest with you, sometimes we have to exercise that over and over and over, right? But it is a learned thing that by the Spirit of God and His enabling us to discern those things that are true and that are not, that are worthy of honorable and not honorable, that God will help us in that. Do we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to be to the one agent that can bring change in our lives? Philippians 4.8, I would encourage you to, to memorize that. Let me close with this verse and tell you that it is possible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Is there anything that's causing angst in your heart right now? I tell you the big thing that I saw on social media this weekend that's causing angst in a lot of people, they are worried about the next four years, and I understand that. But but it should not have the crippling power over us as believers that we discard or disregard the truths of who God is 
and put our trust and our reliability in him and recognize that maybe God is going to bring the church to the place that it needs to be through the next four years. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's not easy, is it? Let your request be made known to God. And then he gives this promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the key there is to put it in the hands of God. And then he says, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, even if the circumstance doesn't change. Even if the circumstance doesn't change. Rest in Him. Ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and your life to bring you into the reality that He has given us the mind of Christ and take every thought captive and put it through that grid. And I promise you, based on what the Word of God says, that the peace of God will transcend your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. God, we thank you that you have been faithful. God, you will remain faithful. God, we pray that in the midst of these times that we still find ourselves in. God, that we would place our focus on you and the truth of who you are and truth of what your word declares and not on the circumstances that go around us. God, would you change us? God, would you change the body of Christ? God, would we recognize that our citizenship is in heaven? And God, eternity is a far longer-lasting perspective than the temporal of which we now live in. God, we love you, we bless you, we magnify you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.